When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the Freewheeling Rob Kelly, and our old pal Patrick Butler is back. Hi, Patrick. Hey, Rob. What's going on? I'm very excited to have you back because we are here to talk about Changing of the Guards, the opening track from Bob Dylan's 1978 album, Street Legal. This is the main, one of the main, most impenetrable songs, and that is saying something. Mm. Uh, Patrick, why did you want to talk about this one? I mean, I'm happy you did because I love this song. I mean, we've talked about it on the show before. I love Street Legal. Uh-huh. I think it's probably my favorite of his sort of underrated albums. Yeah. And this song is tremendous, but, but man, it is uh, <laughs> it, 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 is, it, it resists uh, any sort of definition by, in, in any sense. So why did you want to talk about it? Well, um, so I think... And I'm probably going to you know, be called a heretic here, but I think <laughs> Street Legal is the second best Dylan album of the 70s. And I feel that when I was growing up as a kid and reading Rolling Stone and a lot of magazines, etc., they always you know, said this was like a really bad album. And I feel like when I was a, kind of really getting into Dylan, I stayed away from it because I'd heard so many bad things about it. Right. And yet, I feel like <laughs> it was probably the one Bob Dylan album that if you went into, like, you know, Walgreens or something on the weekend, it was always in the 99-cent section, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> That's, so just, That's so sad. It was just, right, it was just always, it, and first off, it's one of, it's probably the beginning of, like, the really bad album covers, you know? I mean, I'm not a fan of it. It just felt, like, very 70s, and he's wearing, like, a vest and, like, the pants, and, you know, he's looking down the street. I just remember being kind of like, ugh. That's when Bob was losing it. Stay away from everything Bob was doing. And this is, no, I'm talking like late 80s, early 90s. So the, quote, comeback hadn't really kind of occurred yet. And so it was kind of like, oh, that's the record where it all started to go downhill. <laughs> so I stayed away from it probably for like 10, you know, for a long time, probably until I was in my 20s. And when did it, well, I, I feel like I got a copy of it. And I really, I just, I just think, I was like, wait a second, what was I thinking? Right. This is awesome the lyrics i mean it's a really there's a lot of really really good love songs and breakup songs on it um i think musically so you know first off he kicks this he kicks the album off with this song right and i feel like you really see this is very very different music from what you have on blood on the tracks and desire where you yeah, have more completely yeah. there right and and i think you know it's funny i hate i hate doing this with bob because i feel he's so unique but this is one of the few times where I'm like, you know, I think he was listening to Bruce. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of piano and accordions and, you know, just a big band sound. And which saxophone. Really, I mean, there's saxophone, a, Bob Dylan's singers. not known for his, yeah, backup singers and saxophone, two things that Dylan was not known for at all to this point. Right. So it's it's like, you know, and I, and I feel like that's kind of the, the Springsteen Born to Run record had come out a couple years before. I think Darkness on the Edge of Town was about to come out, you know, or had come out. And I feel like he was processing some of that, and, and I think he liked And also, you know, Bob loves soul music and, you know, kind of uh, classic, you know, Motown and things like that. So I hear all those influences in this. So then he, you know, he kicks the album off with this song, which if there's 
any other song like this on the album. I, I, it, there just isn't. It, there's nothing like it on the rest of the record. It's a, The rest of the record is great, but I would say that it's pretty straightforward songs about clearly the marriage was ending or had probably, you know, I think he wrote a lot of these when he was on the Rolling Thunder review tour. Um, and, you know, but Changing of the Gods, it's like, I also feel like, well, let's just get into it, but it's like, what a different type of song. He doesn't do this kind of song, and he really has never done this too often since, you know, with these incredible images, surrealism, uh, the, the, I mean, it's just like, it's just an incredible, I mean, if you write it down as lyrics, it's like, wow, this would be like a, a poem in a high school yearbook or something, you know, <laughs> it's that dense with stuff, and, uh, so I just think it's, I think it's an incredible track, um, and, you know, I think if you talk to a lot of, a lot of Dylan people, they'll tell you that it's probably their favorite song on the album. I, I go back and forth, I think there's a lot of good songs on this record, and, uh, I really like Senor. I love, you know, Journey Through Dark Feet. Um, you know, I, so I think there's a lot of good stuff. I just think this is an incredible song to get into this record through. And I really, I, I do love that he kicked the album off with it because I like the music of it. I like the, you know, the way that the, the saxophone break I actually really like. Um, so it's just, you know, I just think it's an incredible song. And then, you know, he starts off with the, you know, 16 years. It's like an announcement, mm-hmm. you know, 16 banners divided on the field. Well, already it's like, you know, I know a lot of people think it's it's kind of a, a discussion about his career, but 16, I just love the way he sings it, you know, and I love that image of the banners on the field of, uh, you know, there's just, there's kind of like a war going on, you know, uh, where the good shepherd grieves, obviously, again, Dylan, you know, with his, with his biblical imagery, desperate men, desperate women divided, it's, where are we? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, spreading their wings neat the falling leaves. Uh, okay, Bob, I don't know where this is, but I'm in. I want to check this world out that you're taking me to. And then, uh, you know, he talks about, what's it, fortune calls, I step forth into the market, from the shadows to the marketplace. I always kind of thought, I think this is a, well, I think this song, ultimately, my overview of it is, this is a song about Bob announcing to the world, I gotta, I'm going my own path. You know, I feel that, and again, I don't, you know, we don't know how he writes his songs or anything like that, or really where these songs come from. But I gotta suppose that after Rolling Thunder, you know, he put out Hard Rain, which is which is an awesome, probably one of his best live albums. But you can hear the pain in the yeah, that's true, right? I mean, that's a record that like he takes those songs and he really like is like grieving, you know. And I think this song for him was a way of kind of saying, okay that's all over, that's the past, now I need to move on. But he's, he's kind of looking back at some of it, you know. I, 16 years ago, you know, 16 years before he put this album out, he was like a nobody, you know. He was a guy living in New York, and he was just playing songs. And, you know, at this point, he was one of the most famous people in the world, you know. So I think it's a song about, you know, him going out into the world. He stepped forth, he went to the marketplace. People are always hungry for power, uh, you know, and then it's about a woman, you know, and he's kind of chasing this woman, and he's these fantastic images, right? She's, yeah, I mean, it's you're you're hit with so much imagery, and you're 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 playing catch up. I mean, every yeah. every there's nine verses to this song, and yep. it's interesting. Every verse opens with you mentioned the thing with the sixteen years, like a declarative statement. Right, it's sixteen years, fortune calls, the cold blooded moon, they shaved her head. I mean, every you know, every 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 verse is like a bang you know here's right. this and then there's these other things following up and I, I i tend to agree that i mean partly because this song is so difficult to understand that mm-hmm. the idea that it is mostly about him and his life to this point i think is a good way in 
and it's 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 accessible because you can sort of if you choose to look at it that way you can see oh it's 16 years yeah it was 16 years since he came onto the scene right. and you know you're talking about and, and and you kind of think that a song that sounds so macrocosmic mm. can't, can't possibly be so personal but i think right. it maybe it is and one of the other things that makes it so fascinating is that it is a song that in a unusually opens, you know, in media res, it opens mm. like it fades in, which yep. is very unusual for any Dylan song. Most songs period don't, don't fade in. And I have to tell you just as like a personal thing, many years ago, back in the early nineties, when I had first discovered Bob, yeah. um, I was buying the albums and I was basically using a cassette player. <laughs> That's how old this is a cassette player. Yep. And I was amassing like basically, greatest hits tapes of his albums. So I would pick the songs I liked the most and put yeah. them on cassettes. And then I would listen to the cassettes and I brought a bunch of cassettes with me uh, on vacation when uh, my parents and I would go to uh, our cabin in the Poconos. And this was one okay. of the songs that I immediately liked because okay. the opening is so powerful. And I would play these, these cassettes out on the porch and my mother overheard this one Mm-hmm. And was she was like, "What is this?" <laughs> and I said, "I'll explain what it is." And she had no idea what the words meant, neither did I. But she loves this song because she just sure. finds it so the, the melody is so captivating. And I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting that my mom, who was at the time, you know, like fifty years old, and right. you know, familiar with Dylan, but not you, not a fan or anything. But she immediately, I remember, literally remember this day, her poking her head out the door and going. What is this song? Because it was just so captivating to her, and yeah, that is one of the reasons that this album. I you you said you think this is Dylan's second best album of the seventies. I would I agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. I think other than Blood on the Tracks, this is. And I think the reason people rebelled on it because it does sound so different. I mean, you've got yeah. the, the wailing backup singers and the horns. It's just a very different sound, and I think probably a lot of people were like, oh, I, this is not what I buy a Bob Dylan record for is to hear this. Right. But right. it's like, does it work with the songs? I, yeah. I think it does. I, I, so, yeah, I agree with all those points. I mean, people didn't like it when it came. I remember, I think Rolling Stone said it was like a Las Vegas record or something. Right, right. Um, which I mean, come on, Bob. Uh, no, I mean that that I that that's a cheap shot. I mean, uh, I think it's his second best album. I mean, because Blood on the Tracks is my favorite Dylan album, like like it is yep. yours, I think, right? And um, you know, and that obviously, you know, that's that's a whole other beast, you know. But with this record, really, I mean, I think the music and the lyrics on this record really work in tandem in a way. You know, he can do... The thing about him that's so amazing is he can do this in his sleep, right? I mean, he can literally write an easy song, you know, with great, good words, strong melodies and stuff. What he does with Changing the Gods is he writes a really dense, you know, lyric song and matches it with, I think, really anthemic music that, you know... And it also has, you know, it goes... It has kind of minor-ish notes, you know, and chords that he goes into. And then he has this really great music break with the with the saxophone, you know? And that's in the declarative statement, you know what I mean? And I feel like it all tied together with, you know, the, you know, the cold-blooded moon and then dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, it, yeah, it's just such a, it's, I don't know, I just think it's a great song. I think this album is so underrated by people because they're like, give me Blonde on Blonde, give me Blonde on, you know, give me the, give me the stuff that I know you, that I know you for. Don't try to do something different. And of course, you can't tell that to Bob Dylan. I mean, Bob Dylan yeah. is going literally, oh, you want, you think you know who I am and what I do? I do this other thing. Don't, don't try to categorize me. 
Um, There's a description of the, the as we've talked about on the show before, and I've mentioned that I'm I don't know anything about music, about chords or anything like that. So I yeah. read, but I did find this on the Wikipedia page about this very song, yeah. and I don't know whether you know half these things could be written by crazy people, but <laughs> but but this is what this says, and I found this sort of interesting. And it says musically, changing of the guards is much like street legal, like much of street street legal concocts a sound unknown to prior Dylan records. This is in part affected by a trio of female backup singers, saxophone, and this is the drums play a driving and consistent 4-4 rhythm devoid of the reverb most associated with Dylan's prior album, Desire. The chord progression has a certain catch that is very noticeable. There is a repeating cadence which, by landing on the dominant chord, begs for resolution. Right. Uh, However, rather than resolving it with the tonic chord, it is resolved with a relative minor chord. This creates yeah. an almost tragic feel in the song. Everything sounds as if there will be a normal, major, and happy-sounding tonic chord, but instead the song falls into the unusual and dark-sounding relative minor chord, although each verse does yeah. end with a final res to the major. Interestingly, the song speeds up slightly over its course, a factor only noticeable to most by playing the beginning and the end of the song back-to-back, something usually avoided by studio musicians. I mean, all this stuff is just, you know, sort of like gibberish to me a little. But <laughs> okay. I also know that this song, this, like a lot of the songs on Street Legal, do have a sort of inner tension to them. Mm. I mean, and, and part of it is his vocal, and part of it is, of course, the lyrics. I mean, there's a this part here where he breaks in. It's the um, next to last verse where he says, Gentlemen, he said, yep. I don't need your organization. I've shined your shoes. I've moved your mountains and marked your cards. Yeah. And it's like what I, you know, that's one of those things where you're like that's, you know, you could say that's clearly him talking to his record label. Right. I've, done, I've done a lot for you guys. Uh, but at the same time, who hasn't felt that way, mm. you know, about whether their boss or yeah. their parents or yeah. just someone in their life. It's like I've done all these things for you and all you do is want more. And the, the sort of like frenetic pace of it gives that it said it gives the whole song a real tension and it's amazing that he's able to keep this going for a song that's over seven minutes long i love that verse i think that's probably my favorite verse in the whole song besides the last verse you know i mean i just feel like that i love that gentlemen he said i don't i don't need your organization right that's the that's the kiss off i don't need you guys i've shined your shoes i've moved your mountains and marked your cards right so it's like i've done everything for you then he says, and this is where I think he, this is just so genius, but Eden is burning, either brace yourself for elimination, or else your hearts must have the courage for the changing of the gods. Now, I have no idea <laughs> how he goes from basically being like, I, I don't owe you anything to like this apocalyptic image, but I just, I think that's awesome. Either brace yourself for elimination, or else your hearts must have the courage. You know, like, and also changing the gods, you know, traditionally, right, the Buckingham Palace, and you know, the, the, the kind of the classic, uh, you know, protection of kings and things, you know. It's just such a, the vocal is amazing, the chords are great, you know, the way the music goes, like you, like you were describing there. I mean, yeah, there's a tension there. And I think, again, here's, here's the tension, I think, in Bob, and this song in some ways is, there's like these earthly concerns about the marketplace and, you know, relationships and things like that. And, of course, Bob is always thinking, like, about, you know, uh, Annihilation and Eden, and you know, and then he, and then he resolves it, right? Peace will come with tranquility and splendor on the wheels of fire. Again, wicked apolo- you know, apocalyptic imagery, um, but will bring us no reward when her false idols fall. You know, right? so it's, but he sings it like offer, right? It offers no reward on the record. Um, it just, uh, false idol. whoa, what? You know what I mean? Like, 
where are we going? And cruel death surrenders with its pale ghost retreat. Like, wow, this guy is, like, talking about something else. He's not talking to... Uh, yeah, you know, is he talking to his record label? Maybe. I mean, that's probably... We'll find out when uh, next year in, uh, you know, uh, Oklahoma, right? <laughs> It'll probably have a bunch of notes next to the lyrics, like, this is for Tony down in A&R, you know? But, yeah, really. But but to me, these this this image is just so incredible, and, the, um, and I just think you're right. I think the music really, really, like, drives it. You know, there's a drivingness to this song. And the other thing I really like, too, is that that last verse about peace will come, and he says, between the king and the queen of swords, and you think he's going to give you another verse? And he doesn't. You know oh, what I mean? Right. Like they, just, they just play it like musically, and then they. And I think that's probably where they speed it up a little bit because they were probably the band was probably like waiting him for to step back up to the mic, <laughs> and he like probably walked away, and um, <laughs> you know because he's Bob, and that's just you know he he hears it in his head. He wants it to go a certain way. I mean, I love the way he records. You know, he just kind of gets the band together. They probably run through the song once or twice. And then he basically goes for it, you know, like, let's, re- let's get it on tape now, because it may not, I may not have this inspiration in the next 20 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I just, I just think that's really cool, the way the song fades in, the way it kind of ends there, where it doesn't go back, you know, also, it doesn't really have a chorus, you know, it's more of a musical chorus, uh, with the sax, um, but it's, like, what an, what an awesome way to kick a record off, you know what I mean, like, if you were, you know, buying this on tape, like, you know, I, I, I'm, like, mad at myself sometimes for, like, avoiding it for all those <laughs> You know, when I finally kind of got caught on to it, I was like, oh, my God, I denied myself. You know, because I listened to, to – I didn't listen really, you know, but I read Rolling Stone and uh, all the music mags that taught – you know what I mean? And, and when they would be like, oh, this is a terrible record and stuff. Funny funny side note, um, I have a friend I grew up with whose dad is a, was a professional folk singer in Ireland and stuff, and they came here in the 90s to Boston. And um, – I remember chatting with his dad once about it, about this album, and being like, oh, yeah, it's like his worst album. And he's like, oh, my God, in the U.K., this is like, people love this album. You know what I mean? Like, it was, huh. yeah, I guess in, like, yeah, it's really, it's a big record for him over there. Although, as we all know, he basically hasn't played anything off it since 1978. No, so, yeah, this song uh, has only been performed 68 times from July 78 through December of 78, and that was it, never returned to. I can imagine that... I mean, clearly the man's memory is pretty good that he yeah. has this many songs right. rattling around in his head. I think I saw somebody say once that when Bob Dylan dies, many songs will just be lost to us forever because he's the yeah. only one that remembers them. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, I cannot imagine trying to remember these lyrics. Because, I know. because they don't tell a story. I mean, I could see, right. you know, Tangled Up in Blue, you're telling a story and you can sort of use your brain to guide, okay, now I'm in the, now I'm in the, you know, okay, there's the stripper and now I'm going to have this. But this right. is all over the place. I mean, the imagery, I mean, with the, um, I stumbled to my feet, I rode past destruction in the ditches with the stitches. Ditches, Again, yeah. weird, the weird rhyme scheme here where you've got ditches and then stitches rhymes midline, right. still mending neath a heart shaped tattoo. Renegade priests, treacherous young witches. Yep. So now we've got a, another rhyme at the end of the line. We're heading out the flowers that I've given to you. So the rhyme schemes are just all over the place here. So I can I can only imagine trying to remember this for a concert oh setting. Well, really, he did it. He did it for a year though. <laughs> so you know he can do it for sure. Uh, I don't know a lot of other people that can. You know, I mean, and you're right. That think Rob, think of those lines. Think how complicated that is. Yeah. You know, I mean. To have like internal rhymes and then to rhyme tattoo and you, you know, like that is really 
really skillful. And also, again, I have absolutely no idea. What is he talking about? I stumbled to my feet from where? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I rode past destruction and dishes. Okay, so he's like, on a horse? Is this back on the battlefield? With the stitches still mending neath a hot-shaped tattoo. Now, I think that's definitely a reference to a lost love, a relationship that, sure. you know. Um, and then he changes it to renegade priest and treacherous young witches. Huh? <laughs> uh, we're handing out the flowers that I'd given you, which is like a betrayal, right? I mean, okay, I gave you flowers, but now these renegade priests and young witches and treacherous young witches, you know? Right. Um, I saw something where someone's like, well, that's, that's him talking, the flowers are the songs. And, ah, okay, uh, I can see that. And that, you know, this is, so he's giving you songs, and he's, but, like, it's record companies and stuff, and all these people in between are the ones that are, like, really selling it to you, and I gave it to you, but, like, people, like, take it from me, and, you know, uh, uh, the whole thing about the moon is, is the uh, spotlight when you're at a show or something. Um, I, I don't know, I mean, you know, again, I don't think we'll ever really know, you know, I don't think yeah. there's a right answer to any of this, but... Um, oh, what's the next verse? The Palace of Mirrors where dog soldiers are reflected? Like, what? Yeah, dog soldiers are reflected. Hey, but, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, okay, fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. Um, it's just, you know, there's a, there's, there's, I think the brilliance of it, too, is that it has a million interpretations. I mean, when you come up with this kind of imagery and stumble it all together, you're right, there's, it's really hard to remember because it's not a story. No. They're, they're kind of like short little... I mean, yeah, they burst open the palace of mirrors. She wakes him up. They shaved her head. You know, it's like these big sentences. And he puts you in a place. And he has all these kind of crazy things, dog soldiers and, uh, you know, mirrors and things. And then he just goes into something else. Like the next verse is not, does not seem to be related to the previous one. And, and yet, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it's an incredible song. And I think that, you know, the, the funny thing I have about this song, too, is, like I said, it's very clear to me now, and I, you know, since since you started the show and going back and listening to some of these songs, that you know, pr- right up until '66, he really he wrote very dense, very lyrical images. You know, everyone talks about "It's All Right, Ma," sure, and yeah, "Gates of Eden" and all that Gates, stuff. Yeah, right. And those songs obviously are amazing, and nobody was doing what, that, etc. Of course, it also inspired, I think, a lot of really bad lyrics. <laughs> you know, the summer of love, man. Uh, but then, you know, he kind of went away from that for a long time. I mean, I, I do think that, I think Blood in the Tracks is an incredible record, and there is some some aspects of that, what he was doing before, but it's a, it's more straightforward. And and the lines are really good, but they're straightforward, you know what I mean? They're, they're are, they are kind of story songs, like you said, like Tangled Up in Blue, or Shelter from the Storm. You know, there seems to be like a kind of narrative propulsion going forward. You know, it goes from point A to point B to point, you know. Uh, and, and the, but so again, so the lyrics got a little simpler and much easier to kind of transcribe and remember. And, and, and then he put this out in 78, you know, something he yeah. really hadn't done in 12 years was hand the world one of these kind of songs. And, and then I don't know. I mean, he never really, he never really did it again that I'm recalling right now off the top of my head. Well, I guess Joker Man or something, you know, but he had, you know, it's, it's something that he can clearly do. He doesn't do it a lot, but when he does do it and he does it well, it's it's like, this, is there no end to this man's genius? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what can't he do when it comes to this? And and uh, you know, this song is incredible. And if you think you can do this, you know, writing ditches, witches, and st- you know, in one <laughs> in one little couplet, like, wow, you you got yourself a career because you know, I don't, I just don't think, I think poets who teach at universities couldn't come up with that. 
you know, even if they did it every day. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. they just... He does it, you know? He's clearly able to sort of kind of whip this tool out of his toolbox when he needs it because it's right. like I think about that he sort of did this in the liner notes for mm. uh, World Gone Wrong, his 1993 yep. all-acoustic folk album. But the liner notes are written like they're from the 60s. You know, the sort yeah. of everything is stream of consciousness with this kind of crazy imagery and that's buried in the liner notes of a, of a, of a folk album. So he's he's got that when he wants to and he doesn't – he clearly now with all the – the most recent records, yeah. he's paring the language down to very, very simple things, and uh, you know that you know it, it has its own virtues. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I wouldn't want to hear you know nothing but this because this would just get, I think, right. a little tiring of just yeah. this endless parade of it. But, but when you when you when it's something as hypnotic as this song is, and this was released as a single, which is baffling to me. That's why they <laughs> l- listened to this one and were like, "Yeah, let's make this the single." Uh, I mean, it's, again, it's great to listen to, but I, I can't picture that it would be something that the radio would play a lot in 1978, uh, you know, America. Yeah. But, um, the other thing that, that's sort of baffling back and forth is that he keeps changing tenses. Mm. He, he injects I, and then it's right. he, and then right. it's they, and then it's she, and then it's back to I. And you really are just like, yeah, I'm in this sort of vaguely it seems like almost like a post-apocalyptic world again with the dog soldiers and the destruction in the ditches yeah and you're like well maybe not this could all just be sort of a, you know a personal thing and mm. then you're talking about empty rooms where the memory is protected angels voices whispering sun 48 hours later the sun is breaking your broken chains matt laurel and rolling rocks it's just like oh whoa slow hold on wait wait <laughs> let me you know process this and that and what do you think about the um the fact that this song has been sort of futzed with uh, in post-production, because apparently when Street Legal first came out, mm-hmm. uh, people were really mad at how sloppily it was recorded. They said that like different musicians missed their cues and things like that. And it, it, this was this whole album was essentially produced by Dylan himself, right. and it was sort of thrown together a little, and people were really bothered. And so now the version that is available is thirty seconds longer than the original. Right. Uh, the way the original ends is after he says between, between the king and the queen of swords. And they fade it out, right? Yeah, it goes right from you hear the the sax solo, right. and then there's a fade out. Here, the song goes for an extra thirty seconds, and then you get that sax solo, right. and then it fades out. I actually am sort of preferential to the original version, but that might be because that was the one I heard first. Um, you know, uh, well, I will say this. I mean, I, I, you know, I've been in bands, you know, I, I did music and stuff. I, I made records, you know, so I, I kind of, um, you know, I, I, I get, it. I think actually the, the remastered version of this that they did a couple years ago, um, I think does sound better, you know, I mean, overall, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, the, the 30 second fade out versus, you know, keeping with what they've done now. And they also like tune, I think you can hear the guitar more on the new, newer version. Um, I, I, I like it. I think it's not, I, I like both versions. I think I just think overall, maybe because now we've got like digital kind of stuff going on with music. I think it sounds better overall. I know people complained about the way the record sounded too, and said that the you know the production was sloppy. I I can tell you. I mean, I think when musicians miss their cues, they should do it more often. I mean, like, <laughs> I think I think great music is about feeling. And again, this is this is Bob. For him, it's all about capturing a certain kind of feeling, you know, with his voice and with his with the playing and everything. So when the musicians do it, like I said, I don't think you get a lot of like the word on the street, even with the touring band. You know, there's not a lot of rehearsal. I mean, it's like 
better better make sure you know your pots, you know? And um, so I think I like the way it sounds. I just think, I think again, the, the feeling of the song is what matters. And, you know, that to me always comes through. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's fine what they've done. I, I definitely think it sounds a little bit better than the original kind of vinyl I, I used to see in people's, you know, homes and so well, I, I think I even had this on vinyl. You know, again, it was one of those... Yeah, I have it on vinyl like, too, yeah. I think it was just like, you know, I used to, oh my gosh, telling funny stories about family in Dillon, it's, you know, uh, my father was an attorney, and sometimes, like, his clients wouldn't have, they wouldn't be able to pay the whole bill, so they would, like, give him records, you know what I mean? Because he's wow. like, oh, my kids like, my kids like records, and I mean, they would give him, like, hundreds of records, you know? Right. And um, I had, like, six copies of Street Legal, you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> like I said, it was, like, just one of the, it's, it's like, the most random Dylan album. You know what I mean? I'd always be mad, because, like, oh, man, why couldn't they have, like, a main condition copy of, like, Highway 61, you know what I mean? They, they could have Street Legal, you know, <laughs> like... Uh, and I think I think I even tried to listen to it then on my old record player when I was like a teenager or something. Uh, but I just yeah I don't know I, I was too into his other stuff at the time and and then um, you know and then I, I think you know I also think that's the other thing about Bob for me at least is you know there's so much and it's great to kind of find stuff later in life you know in a way and be like oh I missed this the first time around mm-hmm. now I've got this awesome Dylan record that if I found it when I was 16 I might have just dismissed it not liked it and never listen to it again, but you know what I mean? Because you come back to it. And so a song in, in an album like this, you really are like, wow. And, that, and that's why I say it. I think it's his second best record. I, I was really into Desire when I was a teenager, you know? And I thought that was the second best Dylan record of the 70s. But I've, I gotta tell you, I've re-listened to it uh, a couple of times since, uh, you know, since in the past six months or so. And, you know, that's actually not that great of a record. I mean, there's some good songs on there, but I wouldn't say that any of them really... I don't know. They don't. They don't. They're not like this. Do you know what I mean? Like changing of the gods is incredible lyrically, musically, and like the best songs in you know some of the best songs on Desire are kind of like co-written songs. You don't really know if it was him. So I was you know that kind of it's a little disappointing. And you know I remember really liking Isis. You know, but now I listen to it. And I'm kind of like you know this is kind of a silly song. You know, what I mean this isn't. This isn't one of Bob's best songs. It's fine for what it is, but it's like, you know, then he put out Changing the Gods. You know what I mean? You compare the two songs. Well, I think Changing the Gods is a better song. I think Is Your Love in Vain or some of these other songs are really, really, you know, Senor, you know? Um, I love the We Better Talk This Over. I, I love, love that song. I love that song. It's such you know? a gentle, it, it's such a, I mean, for a guy that was spent the last couple of years writing these really brutal heartbreak songs, th- yeah. there's something so sweet and so kind about that. It's so, yeah. it's, it's very graceful. Uh, and it, it, it is considering how tension filled most of the album is, uh, that, uh, that song is like, you know, like a cool drink of water almost like it's just like, yeah. okay, let's calm down. I've been, right. I've been, I've been singing about a lot of crazy stuff, here, but let's just relax. And then of course he kicks it back off with, uh, where are you tonight? Which we've covered on the show before, but that, I love the placement of that song of Weber mm-hmm. and I want to cover that on the show at some point, but this, this is it. This is one of the great album openers uh, that yeah. a man's ever done. And that's saying something because he's done an album that opens with Tangled Up in Blue and he's done an album that opens with like a Rolling Stone. Goes, <laughs> he knows how to announce himself on his, on his records. Yeah. Uh, he, he definitely cares about sequencing. You know what I mean? He yeah. wants the record. I mean, he's, I mean, he's obviously a guy who grew up loving records too, you know, in the way that songs, proceeded from cut to cut you know um so i think one of the one of the yeah i mean you could do a whole book you know on great album openers and bob's got like 50 of them you know what i mean (laughs) um but this is like i like i said so i've i really really like this song i love this song i really should say i love this album um you know if he hadn't put out blood on the tracks my third album the 70s might have been street legal you know what i mean i just 
I think it's just a monumental, huge, incredible work. And I think it's just really funny that people don't. Like I said, it's just one of those albums when you talk to people, even really big Dylan fans, they, they are always, you know, I think people like you and I who are really, really into this stuff, you know, I think most hardcore Dylan fans are like absolutely one of the best records. Um, I think a lot of more casual fans or people who are like, oh, you know, the best stuff is all the stuff from the mid-60s. I think they're they're kind of like, eh, I, they're dismissive of it. Um, but I always, I you know, this is one of the tracks I would point to and be like, really? Because... You know what? Uh, that song, you know, is incredible. And and again, I think you know, there's there's something about the music. I like. I don't. Oh, I'm with you. I don't always. In a, I don't always want to hear that sound necessarily. But when he does it right on an album like this, it really works. And I also kind of feel, and I I don't know that this is true or not, but I think that Bob definitely is a guy who listens to other people. You know, and I think. I think when everyone kind of in the mid seventies, you know, were falling over themselves to be like Bruce Springsteen is the savior of rock and roll, and you know he he does he combines Dylan with all this stuff. I think Bob kind of says, "Oh, oh, really? <laughs> you know, w- watch what I can do." And then of course we know one of the best songs later, "Tweeter and the Monkey Man," you know, where he really just kind of like <laughs> pokes fun at Bruce. But I think you can really hear Bruce's musical kind of influence on him on this record, and. Um, you know, and, that, and again, you're right. It's, he didn't really ever do this again. I mean, you know, the next couple records were the gospel records, and then, you know, he just he's always moving and always doing something different. But I, I just think this is a really, really good song and a really, really great record if you want to kind of get into Bob because I actually think it's really accessible. You know, this song is not accessible necessarily, but uh, I think the album is, and so I, I definitely recommend it to people. Like, hey, you want to, you want to, I mean. You know, obviously start with the great stuff, but I mean, you wanna you wanna find a good record that's gonna have a lot of great songs that you're probably gonna love. I pick this one up because I didn't when I you know, and I think it's I think it's an excellent collection and um, yeah, awesome song, interesting cover. I think I think Patti Smith, the New York you know punk poetess <laughs> of uh, because of the night fame, she did a version of this like ten or eleven years ago in one of her albums, you know, and I found it online. I listened to it, and yeah, I could. I was like, oh, this this is another thing, like, because she does very long, epic-y poem type songs, you know, and uh, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's another thing. Bob can do that, you know what I mean? Like, Bob was also also probably hearing some of her stuff and was like, oh, watch watch what I can do, you know. Or I don't even know if he's you know directly saying that to people, but you know, I can I can see how you know other people, but it's it's like it's not a Bob song like it's going to get covered a lot, you know. No, it's, no. It's Imagine it's so tough to get into that as, yeah. as the, if you're the singer, you probably on some level have to feel like you understand what you're singing because right. otherwise you're just you're just saying things phonetically and it probably sounds like gibberish. Right. So you have to be able to find your way in and this song is probably really impossible to find your way into. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's just funny because, you know, he actually, that's, that's the thing, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Bob's catalog that I feel like only Bob could sing this, you know. And I would probably actually put this as one of those kind of songs. This is a this is like a true. This is like Bob Dylan is the only person that's ever going to do the the version of this that you want to hear, you know. Mm-hmm. And because uh, actually, I think there's a lot of stuff on this album that I feel like oh, I could see I could see like a, an Adele or someone covering that today. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, kind of like there's a more pop singing type stuff, which isn't really him. You know, I mean, he he can write pop songs, but oh yeah, this is you know this is a type of song that this is really. That's the other unique thing about this song. It's just so not, you know, there's, like I said, there's no real chorus. It's got, like, you know, all that tension in the vocal, all these crazy wild images all over the place, and then the way it ends without the, 
it doesn't resolve really. <laughs> no, yeah, it does not resolve. You're forever all sort of in the same. I mean, the whole thing about you, there is some hope to it sort of with the mm. whole idea of that you can get ready for the changing of the guards. He's not saying right. you're not going to be ready. He's not saying this is the apocalypse is coming. It's right. you can get ready. You know, you right. can be ready for this. And the, yeah. that's how it ends with, you know, you you must have the courage of the changing of the guards. Okay, well, right. maybe I do. Maybe I do have that. So it certainly right. sounds scary, but there is right. there is that chance. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, that, that, Rob, I hadn't thought of that really, but you're that you're absolutely correct, you know. And then the next section after that is peace will come, peace right? will come. you know. So if you if you get ready, if you start, you know, taking charge of your life, and, and I think, like I said, we both know that, you know, he split from his wife, you know, the, the mother of his children, uh, you know, his the the last couple, right, the record before, Hard Rain hadn't, you know, the, the movie, right, Ronaldo and Clara. Ronaldo and Clara, <laughs> yeah. Which, if anyone can sit through that thing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> good luck to you, because... You know, I love Bob Dylan, but man, <laughs> that, I've, done, that, I've done it once, but life's too short to sit through it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think you'll, uh, I don't think anyone will uh, knock your, your your Bob Dylan cred if you don't <laughs> if you don't praise Ronaldo and Clara. Um, but uh, but you know, so the last couple of things he'd done at that point hadn't really been successful. I think you know, in his mind, or you know, critically, etc. And so I think this song, in some ways, the interpretation and based on what you just said, I would say this song is a. a Get ready, move on. You know, take take the past, work through it, and then get ready to you know live your life in a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, peace will come. And the changing of the guard. You know, get your heart ready. Get get yourself together. And uh, you know, at, at some level, Bob Dylan is always talking to himself. You know, and about what he wants to do with his life and stuff. So. You know, it's an it's an. I mean, this is a look at us. We've been talking about for forty minutes. About so for one forty song. minutes about. <laughs> you know, this is. There's so much Bob Dylan stuff you can do, but this is like not a really well known Bob Dylan song from a big album, and we're still able to do this because mm-hmm. that's you know the guy is just like it's amazing, and uh, you know I could spend you know we could spend hours talking about how amazing he is, you know, but <laughs> this song is. Probably for a lot of people, a minor song. You know, it's not one of his great songs and stuff like that. But think of that. It's got. It's just incredible. I mean, it's just you know the amount of images and the lyrics and the. It's just so like, oh my god, man! Can you imagine like being in the studio that day? This I mean, and the backup singers, right? They sing this like peace will. You know, they do this little kind of vocal. I, I was like, did, did he hand them lyric sheets and they just knew to sing on that part, like? I can't even imagine what that session must have been like. Uh, yeah, managing the chaos of all these pieces coming in and out, and yeah, yeah. crazy. It's on the Budokan album, I can't remember. I don't. I haven't listened to live at Budokan in a long time. It's on no, there. Right? It is not. It's not. Okay. It was done on the tour, but it is not on the album. This the the only version of this song that's ever been on a Dylan album is this version. That's it. Okay. And it was put on. Funnily enough, it was put on the Greatest Hits collections. It's on Greatest Hits Volume Three, yeah. and yeah. it's on that Dylan 2007 sort of you know mm-hmm. thing that covered everything. So you know, Sony Music and Bob Dylan, whoever gets involved in these things, obviously they consider it you know representational of this era, even though you yeah. couldn't argue this is a hit in any real way. But right. Yeah, it's 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 lived on, even though the man himself has has left it behind. So I think we should stop it there because we could just yep. keep going on forever know, about this one. That's how dense this thing is. So <laughs> uh, then we're going to end this episode. You're going to hear the beginning notes to it, and I would defy any of you to listen to the opening of Changing in the Guards and not get hooked into it. So you can go to iTunes and buy it. You should just buy all of Street Legal, of course, as both Patrick and I would recommend. <laughs> but if you're going to buy anything, I would pick up the song. I think it's just tremendous. So uh, Patrick, once again, thank you for coming on, man. It's always fun to talk to you. 
Always, always a pleasure, Rob. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find the show over on the uh, website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next week, uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Since